0: Welcome back to Health Conscious. This is Joseph and this is Jonathan. And we have a great speaker today with us. It's Brian Andrews of the Cooper Companies.
1: Uh, Yeah, he's the CFO and we couldn't be more excited to have him on and have him share his thoughts on the future of the medical device field, what it means to be a leader in such a large company, and just his thoughts on work-life balance and how he worked his way from school to where he is now.
0: And we want to thank Deborah and for her contribution during this interview. She's one who kind of prompted us and put us on to Brian Andrews. So without further ado, here's Brian.
2: So we wanted to start out with asking you about why you made the decision to transition into healthcare and what, what attracted you to that space?
3: Well, you know, I I didn't really have a plan going out of college. I mean, most of what most of what I saw around me was, you know, I was an econ major in school. Um, You know, I I knew I wanted to do something in business, but I didn't really know what that was going to look like and how that was going to transpire. I was, you know, a lot of my friends were. I was in New York City uh, at Columbia, so. I a lot of my friends were moving into consulting or investment banking or um, or legal, you know, law. And uh, when I started my career in investment banking, I was doing all. I was working in all kinds of industries, uh, tech and telecom, consumer, um, healthcare, and so forth. Um, but honestly, I, I ended up in I ended up in healthcare just by circumstance. Uh, one of the clients that I had been working with for a while uh, at the bank I was at uh, asked my 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 then boss and still current boss and I uh, to to join uh, their management team at Cooper. So um, it was really just kind of an opportunity that they came from just a rele- relationship. Uh, that I had, that we had, where they 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 liked us, they wanted us to join their treasury group, and and uh, I jumped at the opportunity to, to leave banking and and, uh, and and start a new career, sort of on the corporate side of things. Um, so th- that's kind of that what happened. I mean, I I think now that I've been in healthcare for the greater part of the last twelve years, there's a lot of benefits to being in healthcare. There's a lot of great aspects
0: to. To working in the healthcare industry, so I'm happy to talk about that if you'd like. Yeah, and I'm sure that it was a little bit better going from banker from investment banking hours to healthcare hours, or or were they different, or how or were they the same rather?
3: Well, you know, it, it, it's interesting. I mean, I'm I'm now I don't know 15 to 20 years removed from 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 the, from uh, those years, but certainly you know back in the, the late 90s, or early 2000s, investment banking. Uh, hours were were crazy. I mean, it was uh, long nights and, and late nights and weekends, and it was pretty routine that I'd be pulling all nighters. And um, I think that's changed. I mean, I've got some friends that are still in investment banking or that are you know hiring people out of school, and the the environment is one where they have to be competitive. Um, and, and if they're going to compete against the likes of Google and Facebook and, and uh, all the other sort of startups and, and opportunities that are, that are out there, um, they've got to be competitive with pay and with culture and, and responsibility. And so... I think everyone's working pretty hard, and and I even if you know I've got plenty of friends over in Silicon Valley, and they're working crazy hours, and uh, but you know they they have a great campus, and they've got great food, and they can get their hair cut uh, on campus, and they can do all kinds of things, so they they really make it comfortable for you to stay and work, uh, and and they create an environment where you don't feel badly about you know staying staying there. But when I was doing investment banking, there was there was a team culture with an analyst class and we, we we worked really long hours but then we'd go out late and the great thing about being in new york city is everything's open really late and and uh, you could you can find dinner anywhere and at any time of the night and and it was kind of a rite of passage you almost kind of thought of that as like okay well I'm doing my dues now but it's going to pay off in the end so um uh, the hours were were tough i'd say that you know as When I went to Boston, because uh, I moved from New York to Boston, and then I, I came out to California, the hours have ebbed and flowed. I mean, I, I think with every promotion and every opportunity I've taken, I've always been pretty aggressive at wanting to try to really learn and, and dig in and, and, um, and uh, make an impact. And so while I'm, I'm not pulling all-nighters or weekends and haven't been for a while, um there are weekends that i work and there's there's late nights that i work and, and it doesn't always have to be that way i mean i look around me and not everyone's kind of in that mode but it's kind of ingrained in me that i just want to have a uh, you know i just have a i'm just eager to to understand and to learn and to take on a lot of different types of responsibilities so um when i was living overseas for the in denmark for a year uh, i was working some long hours and um And and weekends, and and that afforded me a new opportunity that I've taken on more recently, and and even now I'm, I'm doing that as well. But, you know, I think you just have to like what you do. You have to, you have to, you have to start if you're going to work a lot and you're going to, you want to have passion for what you're doing. You want to find a career path that is that is enjoyable, that is that's rewarding. And then the hours don't feel like you're working that many hours i mean th- there are times when i'd love to take a vacation but um and believe me i mean there's i like i like having so, i'd love to have some balance and I, I try to have balance in my life but at least when you're working hard and you're enjoying what you're doing you you uh it, it makes it a bit more palatable
1: yeah so it i mean it sounds like you have exposure to a lot of different industries be it tech or banking so, what are some of the unique characteristics about healthcare that might be different from uh, those industries? And on the flip side, what are some things that healthcare can take from the tech sector and the banking sector to make it more attractive to uh, to new students? Yeah, so it's a good question. I mean, there's there's kind of startup technology. There's sort of more mature technology companies.
3: Um, and then, similar with healthcare, I mean, you've got different life cycles, and and you've got some sometimes you've got some seasonality or cyclicality to certain healthcare industries. Certainly, if you're in the managed healthcare side of things or nursing homes, that's a different kind of paradigm than um, you know healthcare products that consumers use, or healthcare services, or healthcare solutions that. That are designed for doctors and hospitals. You know, medical devices and pharma have a slightly different um, profile. Uh, you know, with pharma being very heavy, uh, very R and D focused. Uh, lots of a lot of capital ex- expenditures and capital investment to fund the R and D that is going to hopefully turn into a growth story down the road. There's, you know. That generally speaking I mean if you think about sort of medical devices it's a it's a highly profitable industry certainly working for companies that generate a lot of cash that are very profitable is is good for job security you you, you don't have to worry about uh, are you gonna are you gonna are you going be solvent and are you going to uh, you know the, those these companies, I mean, Cooper being one of them. I mean, we we generate a lot of cash. We're going to generate over 500 million dollars next year. Um, our market caps, you know, is teetering around 13 billion, and and we're going to do somewhere in the neighborhood of, call it 2.8 or you know 2.8 or so, 2.9 billion dollars in revenue. So, you know, working for a healthcare company commands uh, a nice multiple and um and so it's fun working for a profitable company but we're not alone there's a lot of really profitable growing healthcare companies that you know that, that that's a little different sometimes from from technology i mean technology you're rewarded for growth in technology but not necessarily profitability though the hope is that profitability will eventually come so there's there's obviously the the the, the big names of silicon valley uh, and then there's the, the startup um, route. And, and one of the nice things about working for a bigger, more established company to begin with is you start to learn some good work ethics and, and you start to work around at least a structured company where you can start to build a foundation for your own sort of gl- growth and development. I think if I were to have started at a startup right outside of college, uh, and there really the startup world when I was leaving college, I graduated in 2000, um, was a little, was, was really just starting starting up, if you will. But I, you know, and I look at my friends who are still sort of dabbling in startups or founding or are, are, are founders to their own companies. You know, you, you're, you're one of eight people or 10 people or 15 people. And, and there isn't really a great structure there. And I think it would have been hard for me to develop some of the skills that I have today if I didn't work at some bigger companies where there was a more established sort of structure, now I don't have a lot of experience to say you can't learn that and develop that uh, in a team of five. But most people in a, in a, a startup culture is is uh, is is pretty fluid. It's pretty chaotic. It's you know if if you find yourself sometimes you can hit it big in a startup, but oftentimes they don't really they they don't really. Uh, they're very few and far between, so you could spend, I don't know, 10 years, 15 years jumping around from startup to startup and, and never really, you know, uh, hit it big with, with the right company. So, you know, I think if I were a student coming out of school right now, I'd, I'd be a little bit more concerned about um, finding myself 15 years later, not having found the next Google and then, and then also not having developed... And refined my skills to be marketable in a in a in another setting. Um, so it, it's a little different. I mean, certainly if you go to a Facebook or a Google um, or an Apple or whatever, you're you're going to have uh, a good structure and support around you to, to be successful. But I think learning some fundamentals and learning a good uh, getting getting your feet wet in something a bit more established. Um, is, is probably my recommendation, but but that's not to say that you're you're not going you're not going to make the right decision or find the right path if you go elsewhere. Um, but but you know've I'd I've accelerated pretty quickly through my career up to CF, to a CFO of a, an s p five hundred company uh, before I was forty. And um, you know, and I think some of the skills that I learned, in the different environments that i was at previously really kind of lent itself to uh
1: to being successful or, or working my way here great and just as a follow-up to that what can you elaborate more on some of those success, uh skills that allow you to be successful um
3: yeah. yeah i mean you know i think it's never great to be um yelled at or pounded on in investment banking i mean it the environment was 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 not one that was that if you had a thin skin in investment banking it back when i started it was it was uh you, you were never going to make it so it, whereas maybe you if you had a little bit of a thin thin skin and you could develop a thicker skin that was that would be you know that that was that was a that that was or is a good thing i, I think nowadays people that's Treat each other with much more respect. And I don't think <laughs> that if you find yourself in investment banking or consulting or what have you, you're you're going to be in that kind of an environment. I'd be shocked if that if that exists today, based on based on everything that's going on with Me Too and 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 all the different uh, cultural movements that are that are happening. Um, but you know, I think being you know having attention to detail, being accurate, thinking about presentation, thinking about um, you know, communication. How you communicate effectively. How you present um, ideas and thoughts in an effective manner. Um, doing just being responsible and, and, and taking responsibility and ownership over over uh, tasks and, and objectives and and um, you know, there's 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 a lot of things. There's a lot of there's a lot of fundamental things that you learn.
0: Early on, that you just never really had to think about in an unstructured environment within in college.
3: I mean, you know, I used to skip classes. I used to, you know, go and party (laughs) on weekends. I mean, it's it was I could I could skip a class, and yes, there might be repercussions, or I might skip even a test. But at the end of the day, it's like, hey, if I got a B, that was fine. You know, if I you know if I got a B minus or even a C, it was like fine because the class wasn't necessarily in my major. So what do I care? So the the repercussions to you know That's fine in college, um, but once you're in the real world and, and, and trying to build a career, you need to be responsible. And, and then sometimes you need to get a little bit of a reality check if you've got the right kind of support structure that you're moving to or towards. Um, you kind of need that to just to kind of get reminded of, okay, well, this is serious. This is real. And um, if you go from one fun sort of loose environment at school to uh, another one, um you may not it might be fun you might have a great time and it might work out for you um but what you what you're going to be missing is is some of the other people that have gone to some places with a bit more structure um where people have are, are a bit more seasoned they've been doing this for a while and they can and they can be good mentors to you uh and then and you could and you, you start developing uh some better uh disciplines and and um I think that just kind of lends itself to being a bit more prepared as, as, as when you're faced with adversity, because that's really what, I mean, it's always easy to, to survive when things are going well, um, but whether there are, there are world events that happen or the, mar- the stock market tanks and there's lots of layoffs or the economy tanks or, um, or the, the company you're working for gets acquired, there, there's all kinds of things that happen over the course of one's career where you're faced with a diversity and um, having 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 built the right kind of a resume or right type of career, especially to start out uh, exiting college, um, you know, can prepare you for some of these times when, when things don't actually go your way.
2: Thank you. Um, I'd like to follow up on that a bit and um, ask you whether there are any particular skill sets that you mentioned. Um, that you feel we should work on while we are still students, or any coursework or material that you think we should make sure we're exposed to while we're still in academia.
3: Well, you know, uh, it, it's it's a good question. Uh, I think you have to just find the right kind of balance. I mean, ultimately, if you're if you, I didn't know what I was going to want to do outside, after college. I went to a liberal arts school, and there wasn't even I couldn't even major in finance or accounting if i wanted to it was really just the closest thing to it was mathematics or economics so um for me i I just tried to find some balance between classes that i liked and classes that were easy so that i could focus on the ones that i liked uh, that were maybe a bit harder so you know i i took some goofy classes in school but i loaded up my my um my core structure so that I could take some some hard classes and some challenging classes and ones that I find enjoyable um but you've got to find things that that you like to do It's just like in in life you know like I was saying earlier around your career um it's hard to know what you want to do at the age of 18 19 20 21 I mean shoot I didn't really even know what I wanted to do at 30 um and if that was if what I was doing was the right career path so you're constantly always trying to find your way, and so um, you know I would say challenge yourself to 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 broaden your perspective. You know, so um, it, it, take English classes, take literature classes, take uh, writing classes, take public speaking classes, take different things that are going to expand your your understanding and knowledge base, and and build some some just broaden your exposure. Don't always take what. What is comfortable to you, try to get to try to push yourself to the limit of a little bit of uncomfortableness. Um, you know it's okay to get a B or a C in a class if you learn from it. Um, I, I just I think I think just just exposing yourself to different things, traveling, studying abroad, um, you know taking internships at different places, I think, The more that you expose yourself to different things and and uncomfortable things, the more you're going to start to appreciate well maybe what I thought was uncomfortable or what I wasn't sure I liked actually is kind of interesting or maybe I actually do kind of like that or I like certain aspects of this so you're only going to know that you've got, it's interesting you've got a lot of preconceived notions Um, and and even my friends today that are in their 40s and, and 50s, I mean everyone's set in their ways in certain ways and but when you're in your 20s or or thereabouts you're kind of finding your way and uh and i and i think it's really it's really important that you do things that challenge yourself and push your push the boundaries a little bit of of what you think you like and challenge what you think you know your your own preconceived notions uh so so that would be my recommendation i mean i think ultimately if you if you if you try different things and you, and you travel and you experience different cultures and, and you live in different places, um, you're going to inherently be uh, broadening your, your scope and your your um, you know, you're gonna be making yourself a bit more marketable and you're also gonna be more comfortable in your own skin and you'll be able to adapt to a lot of different environments. Uh, but I think really being, you know, some of the qualities, I mean, just attention to detail, is so important um being professional uh it's great to be a kid it's great to be in college but you know people want to people want to know that they can they can trust you uh and and that and that you can be counted on so you know when you're when you're working in the professional world just take it take it seriously you know I mean, it's fun it's great to have fun and you want to be you want to um you wanna you wanna have fun and have some levity in what you're doing, but ultimately, you know, people are counting on you to to learn and to grow and and to uh, and to be uh, to be effective. And so, so take it seriously and, and show up on time. You know, uh,
0: do your you know try hard, and and, uh, and and it'll pay off. Thank you. I think those are all very valid points and extremely valuable to us. And as we're thinking about our careers, I guess going on. To in terms of looking at experiences and trying different things, can you talk about kind of moving around the country and, and outside of the country you mentioned that you were in Denmark uh, and then now you're in Pleasanton. So can you talk about those transitions and what you thought about during those times?
3: Sure, so you know I, I grew up in, I grew up in South Florida. I went to school in New York City. I lived in New York, including my, my years at school for about eight years. I was in Boston for a couple of years. I've been in the Bay Area for 12 years, and and um, and, and then for a year uh, last year, I was in I was in Denmark, <clears throat> and you know, there, there's a lot of as you guys know, I mean, there's a lot of differences between people in the South and people in the Northeast and people in California. Everyone kind of moves at a different pace. They talk at a different pace. They. And, and there's, there's a lot of cultural and, and geographic, there's just a lot of differences between different people in the country. Well, m- multiply that by a factor of, you know, by a factor of 10, the differences between uh, the people in the U.S. and people in Europe and Middle East and Asia. And, um, and, and there's, there's a book that I read last year called The Culture Map. Um, and I highly recommend it, it it's, it's, a, it's a great it gives a, pr- a great perspective it's written by, uh, by, by a woman who uh, grew up in Minnesota and she's, she moved to France and became a professor at NCED and uh, it, it talks about just kind of all the different ways in which you know w- we're different and, and how it's important to, to really appreciate and understand sort of where those differences come from and, and how how people respond to different ways of interacting, whether it's, it's communicating or enforcing or, or evaluating. There, there's, there's a whole set of things that are discussed. And, and I just think when you move around and you start you, you start to live in different places, uh, you start to just get a different perspective on, on, on how am I going to flex my own style um, to to be successful, and and if you're if you're working for different managers that are from different countries or different parts of the U.S. or the world, you're going to have to anticipate that there's going to be some differences. And if you're getting to a point where you're managing um, people in your own office or remotely in different other places uh, around the U.S. or the world, then then you're going to have to manage differently. And and when you're presenting to people of different cultures, um, then you're going to have to flex your style and present differently based on your audience. And so, um, I just think that it's there's you can get so it can be so insular when you are only living in one place and dealing with a group of people or the people in that one place, and you don't move around. Uh, you really lose perspective on, on Everything else that's out there and, and there's not just one way of doing things or one way to look at things or one way to approach things um, There's 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 other ways uh, to, to do that and you really start to understand and appreciate the other
0: perspectives when you do move around I think that's very important to note because a lot of us think about, like, oh, I only want to be in this area of the country, not the other. I know California is the best state, as I'm from California. (laughs) But I think that in terms of really engaging with different audiences appropriately is very important to note as we're going on with our career. I saw that in your CV, kind of you worked in a supply chain strategy area. Can you talk about that going from finance to supply chain?
3: Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it's different. It's, it, you know, my career started in investment banking. I did corporate banking and then I went into treasury. Uh, so I was, you know, in treasury, a lot of people don't really know what treasurers do, but treasurers manage the, you know, cash debt investments of a company. We, we generally will raise capital for, for the companies. So. Um, obviously we generate a lot of cash, but we also make a lot of investments, uh, whether it's CapEx or we acquire companies, uh, we need some additional capital in order to fund those investments. So I'll raise money, uh, through the bank market or through the capital markets. Um, and so a treasurer will, will, will structure those, those, uh, those financings and raise the capital, um. We will hedge foreign exchange and and, uh, and manage our foreign exchange and interest rate risk by uh, by executing derivatives, uh, whether they be forwards or options or or interest rate swaps. Um, we manage our bank accounts and, and optimize our cash and debt utilization. So there's among other things, but um, as the treasurer of a multinational company that has got more than more than half of their our revenues are are based outside the U S we're exposed to a lot of risk and a lot of exposure. And, um, and there's a lot of nuances doing business in in China and Russia and the Middle East. And, the, 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 rules and the regulations and, and the environment is, is different in different places. So it's very interesting. It's, it's, um, it is, it's always changing and continues to change. So, um, you know, for, as the treasurer of the company uh, and being in finance, you, know, you're, you have to have sort of a, you have to understand numbers, you have to understand uh, finance, and you have to understand that. And then there's, there's a, an ebb and flow that tends to be a little bit more episodic. I mean, I'm not always raising, I'm not always out there raising money. That usually happens every one to three years. So during that time, it's stressful, it's important, I can't fail. I've got to raise the money, and I've got to raise a certain amount of money with certain terms and condi- conditions. Um, otherwise, um, it's either going to be viewed poorly, or we're not going to be able to get, we're not going to be able to make the investments um, we want to make. So there's there's a certain level of stress that comes with being the treasurer or being in treasury. And if you're if you're on my team, you know you're managing FX risk, you're managing.
1: You're doing any of those other
3: things that I that I mentioned earlier, and, and there's 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 stress around. Well, have I managed my exposures? Have I caught all my exposures? Did I did I was the strategy I employed uh, effective? And so there's constantly sort of a, it, Some of this ends up being fairly programmatic, uh, in that you know every month you're in the market, you know, buying or selling currency, you're, you're in the market. Uh, you're, you're managing you're the movements of cash around the world, and so that that ends up being kind of that that becomes sort of the day to day and the year to year. In supply chain, there's always a crisis happening. <laughs> there's always <laughs> someone that's unhappy with you, whether it's a commercial person uh, that says that their customer, you know, got got product late, or or it's a it's it's a customer that that uh, that's had to wait for you know many more weeks because there's some some products on back order. Uh, there's a vendor that's upset because you're you're trying to tighten the terms and and they're having cash flow issues. Um, there's there's always something going on from from order uh, from order to cash as we'd say. So you know you've got you've got customer service taking orders. You've got. Supply chain that's working on vendor relationships to, to procure product um, and to manage the stocking levels at, at your distribution centers. You've got logistics where you're trying to ship and uh, ship product uh, to different places around the world. And there's also different regulatory issues, things that are changing, you know, every day around import and export rules and 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 how you get product into a country and how you avoid double taxation and, and duty and VAT and, uh, and, and all kinds of things, uh, or at least you won't avoid it, but you've got to try to optimize sort of what's the best way for me to, to move product around the world so that the financial impact uh, to do so is, is, uh, is minimized. And, and that might just be just becoming more efficient. Around how you you move product or move inventory, and and uh, how you set up your legal entity structure, and and um, you know there's all kinds of things. So with supply chain, it, it ends up being it's a it's a fast moving, high paced type of um,
0: type of uh, um, set of responsibilities. And depending on where you are in supply chain, whether you're procure, procuring. Uh, raw materials or
3: or uh, procuring sort of third-party products that you're going to be combining with your own uh, proprietary products or solutions uh, or you're working in distribution and logistics and transportation uh, or or more on even the the the, the order taking side of things it's It's um, there's always there's always things that are happening and there's always there's always something going on. So you've got to have you've got to have a good stomach for it, you know, because there's things are things are
2: moving fast. Thank you. That's really interesting. Um, I'd actually like to elaborate a little bit more on what you spoke to about having so many roles um, that have an international focus. Do you see any um, international trends that are happening in the future of um, medical device medical products? Um, and could you could you speak to that?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the things that, that that's happening uh, around the world is you know all of these little independent hospitals and little and in, in, independent practitioners. Are all starting to form alliances. Uh, they want to build. They're 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 trying to gain some leverage when it comes to buying. So when you think about again supply chain, um, clinicians in the U.S. are forming buying groups. Uh, you know, hospitals are are forming alliances, and now there's chains of hospitals that are that are becoming bigger and bigger. You've, you're seeing customers. Um, let's just say in the U.S., you've got like Costco and Walmart lot of big retailers that are based in different parts of japan and europe and the u.s that are starting to go global and and they're starting to change the market dynamics so that um at least on the healthcare side of things um you're not dealing with lots of little guys anymore you're dealing with with bigger sort of corporate accounts and key accounts and buying groups which 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 is a which I think is a good thing for the industry in terms of um, you know y- there's there's more opportunity to to, to standardize and and to uh, have to really move a market. Uh, but it, it means then that you've really got to have a, a company really has to have their ducks in a row because it's it's not like you're you're not dealing on a small scale in lots of places. You're dealing on a bigger scale with and and the opportunities are becoming. Maybe a little bit less because uh, because now you're you're getting a lot of consolidation. So um, I think it's great for for uh, consumers. Um, it, it's great for companies, but it's a it's a changing landscape um, where where there's 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 lots of there's lots of global players that are being formed uh, where there used to be more kind of a fracture or or. or you know, lots of smaller
1: guys in lots of places. Great. And I just have a follow-up question to that. Do you see the M&A activity uh, continue to accelerate, or do you think it's going to plateau after a certain point? Um, And in addition, do you think the government's going to step in and kind of say, you know, we we need to kind of curb the M&A activity in the medical space? Well, this administration doesn't seem to be...
3: um, doesn't seem to be standing in the way of of M and A. In fact, I mean, you could argue there's, you can argue that that they've been pretty lax when it comes to antitrust or you know the anti-competitive uh, uh, rationale to certain to certain acquisitions. I mean, you know, I think previously and, and in general, I think it's important that that there be um, some controls over that, just because you don't want to get to a point where you've got you know these massive monopolies. Um, but, but you know, I think where where the current administration stepped in is when you've had some, some uh, you know, you had I think some Chinese companies or Asian companies that wanted to take a big a big piece, wanted to acquire a big U.S. company, and then all of a sudden would 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 take a considerable share in a, in a market where maybe historically um, the U.S. has uh, or the U.S. companies have been more dominant, and so. Yeah, there's there's obviously a very nationalistic tone to the current administration, and that tends to be, that seems to be their stance when it comes to M&A. Um, so they're not going to stand in the way of things that are, it doesn't put an emphasis on a, a foreign country uh, taking a bigger slice of, of what was a, a sort of a U.S.-owned pie, um, they seem to be okay with it, but it's hard to really say what they're going to do. It just seems like every day, as the wind blows, things are things are said or are tweeted, or and uh, you just never you just don't really have a sense. But I think M and A in general, um, whether they're tuck-ins or or transformational, the um, valuations have been pretty high, and they continue to be high. So uh, you know, as as the interest rate environment has been low. Most M&A deals have been pretty accretive, despite the high valuations. But as you start having the interest rate environment go up, as tariffs have more and more and more of an impact, which is inherently a tax in and of itself, you're taxing uh, you're taxing the individuals, you're taxing employers uh, with tariffs. You know, I think I think then the, the costs start becoming high and valuations are high. It might slow down, um, but. But, uh, you know, the, the, the m and environment sort of ebbs and flows and, you know, there's, there's, always, there's always going to be a time of slowdown and then it'll
2: pick up. Thank you, Brian. Um, I just had one more question to close out. I wanted to ask you about how you have managed issues of work-life balance. I know that you do have a dog and you have to spend a lot of time away from your pets and your family. Um what advice do you have in managing these issues for students who are intending to enter into careers that are very time intensive, that would require a lot of time away from home and pets?
0: Well,
3: I mean, I guess I would say, you know, generally speaking, when you're in your 20s, you're probably not married. Um, so you, you don't have too many obligations when you're in your 20s, other than to go out and have a good time and meet people. Um, assuming you like to meet people, but, I think work work life. I think balance is a nice term. People always are trying to find balance, but when you're when you're starting your career, I think you just I think you just have to prepare to kind of work really hard. And 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 those first few years or your 20s, um, it, it's good to still travel and, and and hang out with your friends and spend time with your family. But you don't have that many sort of real obligations probably don't own a house yet you probably don't have a family yet maybe when you're in your late 20s but you know really use those first years to 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 get a head start on your career and really have some focus I mean it, it's great to enjoy your 20s and I sure I certainly did in in New York but I also still worked pretty hard and so I'd say as you get older and, and, and you get to a point where you've got a family you've got a husband or a wife and kids or just other obligations. It's important to you know, family is important. It's important to me. If you've got faith and faith, you know, for for people that, that are that have strong religious faith, you just have to find ways to kind of make sure you set aside time. And uh, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't easy living in Denmark away from my wife for a year. But it's it's one of those things where you just have to you just have to have a plan and try to work. You know, try to work that plan into your your uh, y- your work responsibilities, and just make sure that you set your priorities in a way that you know if 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 your partner needs you or your family needs you, or um, or there's certain things that you're trying to achieve um, at work that it doesn't interfere with with some of the other things that that you still want to remember are important to you, because otherwise you, you, your your work it could get pretty unbalanced pretty quickly and it could dominate sort of your, um, your, your life. And you don't want to go through your life just working your, your, your butt off and, and then having missed out on, on seeing your kids, uh, you know, go to school or go, you know, do their sports or what have you. And so, you know, those years are going to be really important to you once you get to that point. Uh, but in your twenties, you know you can you can probably work a bit harder and, and still enjoy uh, still enjoy doing things with your friends and, and family uh, on the weekends and certain days so I'd say it's a, it's a tough thing to manage at times uh, especially if you're you're you've chosen a career that's high intensity or high pressure um, but every career is going to be demanding at different points and you just have to find you just have to remember that it's important to for your own sanity to try to find some balance
1: Thank you, Brian and Deb, for this awesome conversation. Uh, I think our listeners are really going to enjoy learning about your story and how you managed your career uh, since school.
0: Yeah, I think that really paying attention to being detailed and being professional and you know, really being willing to work uh, in your 20s as you're progressing your career are very important takeaways from this conversation. Uh, I hope you guys have a great week. See you guys.